we're in week eight of our series in Hebrews. And last week, we were looking at that. You know, the major theme of, or one of the major themes of Hebrews is this idea that Jesus is our, our new, our perfect, and our eternal high priest. And it's worth pointing out that the word new is used extensively in the Bible. You know, especially the New Testament, right? Which, which is not ironic. It's actually making a point. Jesus came to do something new. And his purpose was to establish a new covenant with us. And, and as I keep pointing out, when we, when we, um, we have to think about the original receivers, the re- original audience for this particular, um, whether it was a letter or a sermon or whatever it is, you know, they, we have to put ourselves in their shoes because they were, they were these new Christians um, who, were, who were Jews. And so they were hearing this message about, hey, something new has happened because of Jesus. And so we need to be thinking about that as we read through Hebrews. A covenant, a new covenant, in case you're wondering, it's essentially, it's like an agreement between two parties. In this case, God makes a new covenant with us if we agree to it, if we accept the terms on on offer from our creator. The old covenant was deemed inadequate and is replaced with a new, complete, perfect covenant eternal covenant, just like Jesus replaced the old high priest with a new, perfect, eternal high priest. Just like we learned last week, the old systems were being replaced. That old animal sacrifice for our sin was deemed inadequate. There is now a perfect, complete, and final sacrifice for our sin. So out of this comes a lot of new as we will see. And once again this week, there's a lot of words. We're going to read a fair chunk of scripture. Um, Like last week, we were talking about that subject. I said there's a lot more in there than we read. And I want to encourage you to please keep reading through Hebrews in your own time at home. Today, we're going to focus in on chapter 8. But there's a lot on New Covenant around 7, 8, 9, 10. Okay, so I encourage you, go home and, and read all the bits that I don't today. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8. We're starting at verse 1. Remember last week we finished off the end of chapter 7. And so verse 1 makes sense when we put that into context. So here, here we go. Follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If if he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy. It's a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. But now... Jesus, our high priest, has given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God, based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. So I'll just stop there for a moment, because it's important to just remember that the old covenant was given through Moses you know, to the people. It was a covenant with the Israelites that essentially promised God's protection in exchange for their worship and obedience. You know, that was, that was the, the agreement that they had. 
you obey me, you worship me, and in, in exchange, I'm going, to, I'm going to look after you, protect you, and I'm going to bless you. It was a system of laws that aligned them with his, or with the holiness of God. And because of the sin of humankind, you know, that was... Uh, that we were, we were born with, that it needed to be atoned for. The covenant was also a system of, of constant animal sacrifice that a perfectly just God required. There had to be that penalty for sin. Moses was their high priest, and they agreed to this covenant that God made with them. You know, they could see that this was the offer. This is the covenant offered, and they could see it was good, and they agreed. And as we know, it didn't really go that well, did it? It, it, it had good moments. It had moments. But if you read the Old Testament, you'll know it was like, you know, it was like the stock market graphs, <laughs> up and down and up and down. And, and you know, when they followed God and they obeyed him and worshipped him, they, they had his blessing and his protection. When they didn't, after many, 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 many warnings, often he would re- remove that. And they, and they paid a price for that. Verse 8. But when God found fault with the people, this is what he said. And then the author quotes Jeremiah. Okay, This is Jeremiah. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand and I led them out of the land of Egypt, they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. On that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will, know, they will not need to teach their neighbours, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. This, I think he's talking about this idea of the Holy Spirit pointing people to God. And verse 12, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. When God spe- and then he flicks back to his own words. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will disappear, will soon disappear. And that's what happened. The prophecy from hundreds of years earlier from Jeremiah about this new covenant, it came to pass. And that's what we live with today. But let me be clear here. We're not saying the old covenant was of no worth. Okay, we've got to not think like that. Because it was. In fact, there's a great quote here from uh, George Guthrie. He's a theologian. Here's what he said. The author of Hebrews does not mean to suggest that the old covenant activity of God was base or useless. The Old Testament revelation was, after all, a form of God's speaking to humanity and for the author, a primary source of authority. No, it is the moon in relationship to the new covenant sun. In the darkness of the Old Testament era, it shone brightly, giving insight to the holy, loving God of the universe. But this true older light has now been eclipsed by the full intensity of revelation in God's sun. That's just to help us see, you know, we're not just saying that that old covenant was rubbish. It was good. It did reveal God. But we're in something new now. So what is this new covenant? Well, Hebrews 8, it's not that exhaustive on this subject, but I think it gives us a good summary we want to look at today. So back in verse 10, I wonder if you saw it. This is what he said. Well, Jeremiah said this, remember? He, he prophesied about this. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. On that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them in their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. And this includes us, okay? This, this covenant was for Jews and Gentiles, all right? It was for everybody. We know that. So new covenant, number one, means it's a relationship with God that's now internal. It's not just an external practice of religion. That's the first thing about new covenant. Instead of a law written on stone, you know, read out to us by a human high priest, his laws, his ways, his desires are written directly here. In, in us, in our heart. Yes, it's not a physical writing in our hearts. Okay, it's a metaphor, to just, but it's describing something that happens in a spiritual sense. God brings real change in our heart to achieve this covenant in a far more powerful way than the old one did. The transformation delivers a strong motivation and a desire to live for God. What I'm saying is that the new covenant is a heart-based relationship with God, not merely service for God. That, that's, I hope you can see that clear distinction. Number two is the relationship is based on forgiveness. We read that in verse 12. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. A perfect and holy God can't come into relationship with, with sin. But forgiveness is possible because a perfect and acceptable sacrifice is made on our behalf. You know, this is an important point. We've let God down a lot. We've done the wrong thing. We've disobeyed. We've hurt God. We've hurt others. It's actually an open, shut case. There is a judgment and a punishment for all those things that we've done. And if you think that's not you, if you think, no, no, I'm a good person, Jesus said it goes as far as even if you think it. It still counts. If you think a lustful thought against someone else, it still counts. And yet, he so badly wants nothing between us. He so badly wants us to be in relationship with him that he said, I'm, just, I'm going to die to make that happen. That's how bad he wants it. That's how bad he wants us. He did the ultimate act to clear that debt. He must really, really like us. <laughs> he must really love us. He must really want to forgive us. Like he's, I think he's sitting there going, I just want to forgive you. <laughs> because it's between us. I want to forgive you. But how good is this promise? I will never again remember their sins. Never again. I mean, how does that work? <laughs> if you've done the wrong thing and you sincerely ask God to forgive you, he doesn't remember that sin against you anymore. He doesn't remember that sin anymore. The theology around this kind of blows my mind a little bit. It's interesting. Surely an omniscient God knows all things, right? That's, that's theology. He knows all things, past and present and future. Does he really forget that thing I did? I suggest that when it comes to how he relates to you, he has the power to choose to not think about what he's already forgiven us for, unlike us. You know, it's not sitting there in the back of his mind as we relate to him. It's not letting, it's not going to influence him in how he relates to you anymore. It's gone, it's forgotten. We, we can't do that so well, can we? We tell someone, I forgive you, but that thing that you hurt me for is still sitting there, the back of my mind, it's still kind of influencing me. I know that God gives us the power to forgive, and that's where we want to get to. But God, 
he obviously has the power in his own way to say, when I'm talking to you, Nathan, that what are you talking about that thing for? Because I forgave you. I don't even remember it. Is anybody with me on this? <laughs> All right, if you think I'm wrong, you can sort me out later. But look, I think that this is important. We're forgiven. Okay? I mean, it was a high price. We're not going to... Let's not put God back up on the cross. We are forgiven. All right. Number three is about the covenant. Christ broke the power that sin has over us. So I'm going to flick over to Romans here. In chapter 8, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his only son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. You know, this was the inadequate part of the old covenant. Well, one of the inadequate parts. Sin still had this power. Trying to live for God in our own strength, in my opinion, it's impossible. I'm just going to say it. It's no wonder when we read about the, the sacrificial system, there was a lot of animal sacrifice going on. Like, it kind of makes sense. Now in our new covenant, Christ breaks the power of sin. He broke it, actually. Broke it. He did what no person had done before. He resisted all the temptations that came his way. And, and, and trust me, there was a lot. Because you've got to understand, there was a threat against his life and he didn't give in. There was then torture and he didn't give in. He won. You know, the only one to get through life like that, and he did it. He won that battle, which brings me to number four, and gifted us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the same. So since we're using Old Testament prophets this morning to teach us, let's have a look at Ezekiel. I love this one. Here's what he said in chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. Hey, that's for us too. Not just those guys who were worshipping the little wooden idols or whatever. We have our idols. But he says, you will no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and, and be careful to obey my regulations. You see how good this new covenant is? Jesus did it all so that it's now possible to actually truly fulfill God's wonderful plan for us. I love Ezekiel's words. He will give us a new, tender, and responsive heart to replace you know, that hard, stubborn heart. I'll just say it again. He will give us a new, tender, and responsive heart. To replace the hard, stubborn heart. Question. Which one sounds like you? Hard and stubborn. Tender and responsive. Because if it's the first, I, I ask you to ponder the question. 
Why is that? What's missing? Another question to ask is, what does my life look like under this new covenant? Ezekiel says, you will follow my decrees and be careful of my regulations. You know what he's saying? You're going to be doing what I say. And you're going to want to. Careful to obey, to me, sounds like someone who is very considered about how they live their life and how it aligns with the ways of Christ. You know, careful to obey means I'm, I'm taking the time to really listen to Jesus and what he's asking of me, to follow his direction and commands. If you're still not sure, Jesus sums it all of his decrees and regulations up in just four sentences, okay? Actually, he helpfully sums it up in just two simple and yet significant and life-altering commands. It boils down to this, two commands that go against our inherent sinful nature, two commands that will change your life and have the potential to change the world, two commands that every Christian could say, yeah, that defines me. And here they are, and, I, and most of you probably know where I'm going with this, but just, you've read these before, take them in slowly, please. Matthew 22, the words of Jesus, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, and all your mind. And one of the other Gospels adds, all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally, equally important. Love your neighbor, that's everybody we know, as yourself. The entire law, all of it, depends on, a, on this. It's based on these two commands. That's our side of the covenant. You heard God's side. This is our side. Honestly, if you want to know what God wants for your life, please start here. And don't leave here until that's you. Because this is him revealing what he wants you to do. He wants you to sort out who you are, who you're going to be. This command describes the essence of a Christian, loving God and loving people. Yes, God has a plan for you. I agree with that wholeheartedly. But please start at this point. Work out who you're going to be. Your character should be defined by loving God and loving others. Before you go with what does God want me to do, please, who does God want me to be? That's where we should start. I think that's the new covenant. These two commands, by the way, they come from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. They're two commands from the old, from the old covenant that humanity, they just, they were so hard to follow. And so God did a new thing. And, and now through this direct relationship with God, through his son, this new covenant, it, it's here. And these two commands are the basis of our life purpose and they're not out of reach for us. They are real. They're for us. The goal of the new covenant is deep transformation. A new a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit, a new, a new power in our life, a new life, a new life, and a new community because of it. A new relationship with God where we know him personally and we will experience him powerfully and that will be revealed through how we successfully live out the command to love God and to love other people. Jesus is big on you. That's why half the churches are called new something these days. (laughs) 
It, it, which is good, by the way. It makes sense. He's big on you. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of loving. It defines us. It's not always new in the way we think it should be. It's new in the way he wants it to be. Hearts made new. Lives made new. It's why Jesus came. See, even with the Bible as our God, sometimes I think we, we miss the, um, the reason or what Jesus is really about. You know, the, the New Testament people, they thought the Messiah was going to come for a, wholly, a whole different purpose. You know, he was going to restore the, the great kingdom again like it was in David's time and sit on the throne and the Romans would be expelled and, and the, you know, the temple would, would, would be at the forefront again and life was going to be good. That's what they were waiting for in the Messiah. I think we can sometimes think like this too. Because Jesus didn't come and wipe out the Romans or take over the government. He didn't come and lead a political revolution. He came to give us a new heart, to make us a new creation, to break the power of sin, to bring peace and justice, to live restored lives and to bring the vision of of, um, this new life with Jesus into our community. That's what a new covenant community looks like. It doesn't look like a political party, by the way. It doesn't look like left wing or right wing. A saviour, not a prime minister or a president. It's a saviour. It's Jesus, and he came to enter into a new covenant with each of us to transform us. You know, who here has ever signed a mortgage? You know, you've... Yeah. Not everyone wanted to admit that. (laughs) It's an agreement of sorts, right? But it doesn't feel like it's much of a mutual agreement. Okay, we get some benefits out of it. (laughs) But it doesn't, you know, it really feels one-sided in some ways. They dictate all the terms, 30 pages sometimes or more, of their terms and conditions. I wish we could put our own terms and conditions in those sometimes. (laughs) You know, yeah. How good would that bank be? Yeah, let's start that back. If you, you know, this is what they're saying. If you do all these things, we won't take your house off you. You spend the next 30 years working hard, paying them interest, hoping nothing goes wrong on their terms and conditions. And one of the terms and conditions is that they can change the terms and conditions. Like, it's just this. It's all... The agreement with Jesus is different. He offers an agreement we can't afford, actually. So... He pays it. Think about that for a second. (laughs) And in return, he says, care for the house. In fact, restore the house. I want to make it new. Use it for my glory in a manner that honours me. And on top of that, I'll give you some resources and power to make all that happen. I'm not just going to leave you renovating by yourself. Of course, it's not a house, it's our life. Jesus says, I'll take your punishment, I'll pay the cost for your salvation, I'll take your burden, your home in heaven is cured, I'll even provide everything you need to live out your side of this agreement. You know, really, it's very one-sided in our favour. Our side is to say yes and to receive that and to commit our lives in faith and live for him. And I want to invite you to do that today. Again, for some of you, that may be the first time 
for many of you afresh. So would you pray with me? I just invite you if there's a covenant, there's an offer for you. It's a gift. And Jesus wants you to enter into it. And he did, he did all he could do because he wants you there in relationship with him. And I invite you to say yes today. Just admit your need to God. You can do it quietly in your heart. Admit your need for him. Believe in who he is and what he has done. And then commit your life, not just a bit. Commit all of your life to him today. And Lord, we all do that this morning. Again, we commit ourselves to you. Because you've committed to us more than we can even put into words, more than we can understand. And so we follow your words this morning and we just declare our love for you. God, we love you with our heart and our minds and our souls and our strength. We love you, God. We love you. And when we struggle with that, Lord Jesus, please help us. Send your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your love. Where we struggle to love other people, Lord, fill us with your spirit. (laughs) Fill us with your love. Renovate us, Lord Jesus. Renovate our hearts. Renovate our minds. We receive all that you have for us today. And we say thank you. We say thank you. You are a good father. You are a good father. And you deserve all of our worship today. It's all about you. We're here to worship you, God.